This episode of All Power to Developing has some digital distortion. Please excuse the digital distortion. We would like to thank everyone for their continued support of All Power to Developing. We would like to wish everyone a happy new year, and we'll see everyone in 2022. Thank you. Welcome to All Power to the Developing, a podcast of the Eastside Institute, where social justice, human development, and community building come together. This is where you will meet activists, artists, teachers, scholars, helpers, and healers who are bringing creativity, hope, and possibility to individuals and communities all over the world. Welcome. Welcome to All Power to the Developing. I'm Lois Holzman. I'm your host for today's uh, episode. And I am so excited and privileged to be able to share with you and have a conversation with two extraordinary leaders, Gabrielle Kurlander and Antoine Joyce. Uh, they are leaders of youth development of community building through the All Stars Project, Inc. And uh, rather than telling you what the All-Stars is, their lives are so intertwined with the All-Stars that when I introduce them and tell you a little about them, you will learn something about the All-Stars. Gabrielle Kurlander is a nonprofit entrepreneur, theater director, and actor. She's been the CEO of the All-Stars Project for the last 32 years. And during that time, she's led the organization's transformation from a small New York City-based all-volunteer effort into a national nonprofit that provides after-school development opportunities for poor and underserved young people. And at the same time, and most important, building bridges between diverse communities using an innovative performance approach. Welcome, Gabrielle. Thanks, Lois. It's great to be here. Antoine Joyce is the vice president and city leader of the All-Stars Project of Dallas. Antoine creates and executes cutting-edge youth development and bridge-building programs throughout Dallas and nationally. He serves on numerous local and community boards. Antoine's an All-Stars alumni who grew up in Bedstuy, Brooklyn, and he is very fondly known as the Diddy of Development which we'll get to at some point in this hour. So again, welcome. And it's a privilege to talk with you about your latest initiative. Now, both of you are longtime builders of the All-Stars, Gabriella CEO and a director and actor at the All-Stars Castillo Theater and Antoine as vice president and city leader of Dallas. And before that, of a great builder of many things, including the Talent Show Network. So tell us about Operation Conversation, which you describe as the All-Stars newest bridge building initiative. How did it come into being and how is it part of the All-Stars mission and history? Great, well, thank you for having us. Who, who should go first? You know, uh, any, any preference, Lois? No, <laughs> let's uh, play this improvisationally. Awesome. Well, since I'm talking, I'll just keep talking. It's <laughs> a good idea. 
Um, so again, as you mentioned, you know, so let me let me let me get one talking point. You know, you have your talking points out of so the mission of the all-stars, because I think this is important um in how Operation Conversation was built. And actually, since we got time, a little, a little longer history, but um so through the power of performance, the developmental power of performance, we transform the lives of youth from poor and underserved communities in partnership with caring adults, um, where we give everyone the opportunity to grow. So, you know, you can break that down in so many different ways, but I think the key part of how Operation Conversation became giving everyone the opportunity to grow. So um, we can dive more into it. I'll, I'll actually ask Gabrielle because she's very intimate with our Operation Conversation dot dot cops and kids program um, that our dear friend, your friend, colleague, Dr. Lenora Falani created. Um, but from that, we're in a, you know, it, it's interesting, we're in a post-George Floyd world. The world was turned upside down, you know, watching um, this man have, you know, being killed um, with the police officer's knee on his neck, it shook the world. And I, I knew for me personally, again, going through COVID, I, I was sort of in a daze and a funk, <laughs> you know, almost, almost to a point of numbness as a black man, you know, this happens. And people were coming to us you know, people were coming to me directly. I know some people that came to Gabrielle directly and were saying like, come on, like, what, what can, what can we do? Like, mm -hmm. you know, and, and then you also have the 2020, um, 2020 elections, right? So, oh man, who are you voting for? It's almost like that was like a thing you could not say to a friend anymore. It was like, nope, not talking about it. You know, <laughs> you voted for who? So all this was happening. And one catalyst point for me was again, post George Floyd, you know, people were protesting around the country. And I'll be honest, I was again in a funk. I turned on CNN to watch these two men go into space to the to the space station. And I was like, oh my God, there's protest all over the place. It was like CNN was doing this New York, Brooklyn, which is the same, you know, but it was like <laughs> Brooklyn has its own space, right? New York, Brooklyn, Atlanta, LA, whatever. And I'm going, what happened to Dallas? So long story short, later that day I realized there was a large protest in Dallas. It ended up with a lot of smoke bombs being thrown at, you know, young people. I, I was living downtown at the time. I seen all these young people running, running and, and scared in, the, in this the pepper spray. I stood on my balcony, just was fearful of what was happening. And I started to feel the tear gas in my eyes. And I went inside the house. I'm like, I was just in so much pain and shock and just whatever. And I just started writing. And... A friend told me, you know, when you get that way, start writing. And I submitted something to him. And then I, the next day he was like, I'm going to submit this for an op-ed. And I was like, hold on. <laughs> so, so then I called Gabrielle. I'm like, Gabrielle, like, what do we want to say about this? Like, you know, and partly what I was saying in the op-ed was, 
I lived my life, as you was just pointing out, for the last 30 years when I met the All-Star Project, the thing that that kept me here was is the uniqueness of being around different people. So I grew up poor in Bed-Stuy, Brooklyn. I lived around all black people and I went to school with all black people. And when I was introduced to a new world in my high school years, I wasn't able to adapt into this white, you know, middle class school that I was in until I met the All-Stars. And I met a bunch of different types of people and they weren't all the same. They were different in so many ways and they built so much. They created this beautiful thing. They created the All-Stars Project. They created the Eastside Center. They created Castillo Theater. They created independent politics. So, you, you know, I couldn't write all that in the op-ed, but I was writing this diversity of people helped me develop a new life where I now sit in Dallas, you know, I live in a middle-class neighborhood and I'm like, well, how can we do that? You know, like, can we build something where we're not just vilifying each other? So again, I shared that with Gabrielle. Gabrielle, you know, supported me in, in, in making that statement. The op-ed went out. And then as she and I were talking about what, again, our community was saying back to us, can the All-Stars do something about this? We was like, well, can we just create a program where we could talk to people? <laughs> Operation Conversation, Cops and Kids helps young people and police officers talk to each other. Can we do that with adults? Because our mission ends with where everybody grows. So a lot of people get stuck on, we work with young people. That is primarily our work but we do that in partnership with caring adults where everyone grows and our caring adults were like, we're stuck. <laughs> so, yeah. so that's, so that's one version of how this came and I'll, I'll let Gabrielle add to that. Yeah. Thanks. Yeah. And before you do, Gab, I just want to comment on one thing, Anton, and that you said at the very end, caring adults are stuck. I, I think that's really important. You know what I mean? They, caring adults admit they're stuck. And so I think that's a tribute to the All-Stars and the work that it does do in bridge building, that adults can admit to themselves, to other adults, and to young people, I'm stuck. I don't know what to do. So thank you for that. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's so important because it's, it's kind of interesting. You know, if you're not in a growth environment, it's easy to get stuck. So when I think about growth environments, I think an operation conversation is a growth environment that we've created for people to come into. I, I really think, and I know Lois, you've done um, so much work in this. I, I really think about groups. You know, groups are places where people grow. And um, so you, there are groups in our world where people grow. People grow in, in sports, on sports teams. You know, it's, it's a lot of talked about people are on a sports team and they really have a wonderful intimate experience with people who are very diverse, very different from them. And then people are in the military. Similarly, they'll talk about their comrades in the military and how the closeness that they have, or certainly in the theater, which I have long been part of, is a place where you meet total strangers who are so different than you and you end up feeling so close to them. And uh, lastly, I think about people going to college, you know, and sometimes meeting diverse people in a college environment and 
kind of having that growth experience for the first time. So I think that some people in, in our world, they're not in a growth environment. And then all this has gone on, as Antoine was talking about, um, you know, the, the uh, legitimate outrage over police killings of, of Black folks, over um, un injustice and racism. And people are saying, hey, we got to do something about this. But some people, they don't know what to do. So Operation Conversation was our effort to say, hey, we'll create a growth environment that's performatory. You can come into with people who aren't like you and you can get close and you can learn about each other and you can do kind of an ordinary human activity. You know, it's not exactly rocket science, but it's just regular. Um, but sometimes, you know, it can be hard to find. Yeah, very much, especially around topics that people have no idea how to talk about. <laughs> Well, yeah. exactly. Yeah, exactly. I think that's really important, too, because I think another thing we responded to was people, they don't know what to do. So they're kind of being told, well, you need to be an anti-racist. And maybe they even consider themselves an anti-racist. That's kind of a term that's that's used. But I would say, and I hope you get my meaning here, a problem with anti-racism is you can't just be anti-something. I mean, certainly being an anti-racist is we should all be anti-racist, but what are you pro? Like, what are you doing? What do you do? Anti-racism is not a instruction towards what you should do. And so I think that leads to people being stuck. Oh yes, I want to be an anti-racist, but I have no idea what I'm supposed to do and how to do that. And Operation Conversations, Antoine and my effort to create a context to help people take those steps. Yeah, great. So tell us about it, describe it, who comes, what are they, where do they come from? What happens at it? Go through, go through it for our listeners. Well, we have a couple different forms of it. Um, one is we do it in small groups. So 10 to 12 people come together mm -hmm. um, and we curate groups of people who come from different racial backgrounds, different ethnic backgrounds, different religious backgrounds, different um, ideologies and value sets. And we put different ages generationally, different parts of the world. And it, it's a virtual program. So Anton and I created this during COVID <laughs> and uh, it's, it's virtual. So people come together in a virtual environment um, and Antoine and I direct it and we give performance directions. And so part of what they do is we do some warm-ups, we play some silly games to kind of break the ice, get people loose. Um, Antoine leads, you're really good at that game, Antoine too, because he leads this game called Alien Tiger Cow. Um, which is so ridiculous and silly where you play an alien, a tiger or a cow and Antoine gives you little instructions like waving your little fingers on top of your head and saying beep, boop, beep, boop, like for an alien. And I have to tell you, I've watched Antoine direct this like I can't even count countless times. And he is just so good at that every time I he directs and every time I do it, I'm, I'm always laughing. Mm -hmm. You know, it's just funny. You could say, well, how could you do the same thing over and over again? But you just so it helps people. Part of it, you know, is when we're challenged and we feel uncomfortable, it's hard to be ridiculous. It's hard to play, right? And play is an important part of growth. And, um, you know, you get kind of stuck, you get tight. <laughs> so this kind of loosens people up. Um, then we do some introductions, instruct people to introduce themselves, their name, where they are in the world, which is really cool here and yeah. virtual, like all the places people are, how they say their name, as Antoine always says. And uh, then... Um, we ask them to share something about themselves. Sometimes we ask them to share something that is on their mind about race, or um, we ask them to share things, something that 
um, a role or identity that they feel constrained by. So we take them through a series of steps that has them kind of putting some things on the table that they want to talk about. So we don't really decide what gets spoken about. They decide individually and as a group. And then Antoine and I set up some scenes um, between a couple of them or sometimes three of them talking more deeply about the things that they've put on the table. And it, it consists of um, two workshops, an hour and a half each, usually two or three days apart with the same group of people. So that's kind of the basic of it. And then we just recently created a corporate model too mm -hmm. that we can do with larger groups of people or an institutional model, I should say. So it's for people in the same institution. Is that what you mean? Um, yeah. Oh, okay, great. Huh. Uh, well, it sounds like, I, I'm trying to make a, a funny thing, a, a serious fun. And what the, what's the reverse? I can't even think of how to say, you can't say funnily serious, but whatever. Like both together, it has both elements of uh, tragedy and comedy. Um, which yes. might appeal to you as, uh, as performers. Um, so would you say that Operation Conversation falls under the DEI category for our listeners who may not be familiar with that diversity, equity, and inclusion? And, it does, and what's unique about it? I mean, it, it doesn't sound it, but I see there could be family resemblances and maybe some of the people that have been in your workshops have had to or wanted to participate in other DEI programs. And I wonder what they say about it and how it's different. Well, I have my thoughts on this, obviously. And, you know, please, Gabrielle, agree, disagree here. Um, so to give a little, a tiny bit of color to one thing I wanna say, we was working with a, um, a friend of ours, a community friend of ours, you know, the organization friend um, who's been part of the All-Stars project for a number of years. And she was, she, she does consulting only for us. <laughs> and I was begrudgingly sharing with her that I didn't think Operation and Conversation was part of DEI. Mm -hmm. She says, well, you really can't help how people see you. Right because people have placed us in that bucket. So I am coming to accept that we play a role in that arena. I think why I hesitate to be called DEI is because as you know, you've, you've, I think you've written about this, labels can be very constricting. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, there's, there's different views and it's some, you know, even though DEI, I think, is like five years now trending, right? It's become very traditional. Yeah. You know, DEI sometimes can be very about, you know, conscious raising. And in creating Operation Conversation, Gabrielle and I, you know, we spent a lot of time talking about what we, you know, it's kind of like she was just saying, like, we don't want to be just anti. So we don't want to be an anti-racist teaching we didn't want to be conscious raising we didn't want to we didn't want to you know be part of the white guilt you know <laughs> you know company and so forth right 
we're bridge builders. That's one of our three pillars of the All-Stars project. You know, we we build bridges between people. So so great if you if you see it as a diversity, equity, and inclusion activity, but you know, not even but. And what we're looking to do is help people build bridges in their lives to grow, to develop. Um, yeah, I really, I really agree, Antoine. I mean, I think that diversity, equity, and inclusion, and sometimes people have included belonging in that. Um, mm -hmm. I just was listening to a podcast with a major um, DEI leader at a major corporation. She was talking about belonging also as part of their value system. Um, you know, I think that the barriers, of course, to diversity were legally, you know, overcome 60 years ago or however many years ago it was now um, when schools were integrated in. But the cultural coming together of diverse people is something that our country just hasn't gotten right yet, hasn't it hasn't worked on enough, frankly, you know, um, and uh, we we're very privileged to know the great um, civil rights attorney, uh, Dr. Derek Bell, late, late attorney, who sometimes actually now has been identified with as the author of critical race theory. Um, it's, it's funny, I, I knew him personally, and some of the ways he's now yeah. talked about, uh, I would never kind of talk about labels, I would never put him kind of in that box. But one thing he spoke about was that he said, you know, after we had written the and one uh, Brown versus the Board of Education and schools were integrated. He said, you know, we thought that when we put black kids and white kids in a school together, that that was going to over time solve racism and solve divisions. And he said, what we missed is that we had to give people more of a, this is not a quote, but, you know, have to give people more tools or a way to do that. And we didn't work on that. And we didn't focus on that. And I'd say that in some ways, the entire All-Stars project, our bridge building, is kind of comes from that, comes from the exclusion of, of the poor in America, of the poor communities of color from the mainstream of American life and ways that that's certainly an economic category, but it's also a cultural category and needs to be worked on culturally. And so I think that DEI, um, I, I'm not a big fan of, it's funny, inclusion at this point in our world, I feel like it's a little bit of a double-edged sword. I mean, maybe it's going back to labels because it's like, what, I get included in your thing? You, you know, mm -hmm. it's kind of like my thing and aren't we going to be nice and we're going to include you now. So I just feel like that's a little bit loaded. Um, I love belonging. I think belonging is a really important. I, the thing I would say about it is how do you produce belonging? How do you make belonging happen? So diversity, if you have a corporation you know, maybe they're diverse, maybe they're not diverse because people from diverse backgrounds don't feel welcome there. So that's a belonging issue too, right? An inclusion issue probably. And maybe they're not equity, equitably treated or paid and that's something that has to be worked on. But I would say they all kind of raise this issue of how do you do this stuff? Like what's the, the methodology? What's right. the technique, right? So uh, we use performance. I think it's we're working to use this as a technique something that people can do themselves. In fact, we've had 100% of people in operation conversation tell us in the survey afterwards, hey, I use these tools myself in my life. Mm -hmm. yeah. I, I learn things that I can use. And I feel like that's one of the biggest compliments. Right, great. We're gonna get back to culture and tools and what kind of tools 
there are in the world in just a moment after this break. Hi, I'm Melissa Meyer, Associate Director of the Eastside Institute. Welcome to All Power to the Developing. I hope you're enjoying today's conversation. In each episode, we introduce you to some amazing performance activists, play revolutionaries, and developmentalists from around the world who talk to us about their creative grassroots efforts to build a better world. If you like what you hear, please follow and share the series. You can find us on Amazon, Spotify, and Podbean. We'd love to hear your comments and ideas. Like everything at the Institute, the growth of all power to the developing depends upon the people who create it and benefit from it. We hope you're one of them. Thanks for your support. And now back to our conversation. Welcome back. We're here with Gabrielle Kurlander and Antoine Joyce of the All-Stars Project discussing their latest initiative, Operation Conversation. Um, I want to get back to uh, one of the things you said in describing um, how the workshops go as a way to then go into uh, very important cultural issues. So Gabrielle, I think it was you who were saying said that one of the things you do is you ask them to share something they're thinking about or what's on their mind. And um, another question or related to that, maybe focused on it, is what identities do they feel constrained by? And I wondered if you could share some of, both of you could share some of what people say. Yeah, you know what blows my mind? I don't know why this is true, Lois, but you ask people what identity to have and talk about an identity and say one sentence about how it constrains them. And right away, everybody comes up with something like, you know, how you can ask people something that sounds like, Oh, I don't know. I can't think of it. I'm not really sure. I don't really know what my identities are. Can't think of how I'm constrained. Never happens. Everybody talks about an identity and how they're constrained by it. And I think that um, you just see that, just the dominance in, the, in our culture of roles and how we all feel trapped by some of the roles that we either put ourselves in, others put us in, you know, some roles that we embrace even, and you still feel trapped by aspects of them, you know? So that's what, that's what I find really interesting about that question. And people say, you know, things that are insightful and important. Sometimes they're really simple, like, um, uh, you know, we had, somebody who was an auditor tell us he was felt constrained by his role as an auditor. Do you know, you have people who just say things like they feel constrained as a husband and father, mm. you know, they might say that, or sometimes people say things with more con more kind of content initially, like they feel constrained as a black man who, when you walk into a store, I'm always under suspicion, you know, yeah. things of that sort. Yeah. So whatever they say, we then ask them to talk more about it. And it's, um, I think it's interesting that people listening, when someone listens to you, it's very therapeutic. And mm. so when people talk about this, I think what's most, one of the most important things is not only what they say, but that there's someone else there listening and acknowledging what they say and that people seem to have a very positive experience of that. Right. So do you think that um, both of you, do you think that this kind of, 
conversation that you um, invite people into and direct has some impact on loosening their connection to identity as a whole. And the reason I'm asking in, in this case right now um, is that identity as an auditor and identity as black, I would think seem really, really different to people. And so if you're, right. if, if what they're saying is bringing up all these other ways, social roles and society and how we understand what it is when we look at someone, constrain them, then it might open up the whole idea of identity constraints, not just this one, but the whole, the whole thing of that activity that human beings do so well of identifying and categorizing and putting labels on people. And I wondered if you've discovered anything from this project of yours about that that is helpful to you personally and or in the ongoing work in, in, the, in the world to make it better. That's a very long question. That's interesting. <laughs> yeah, it's an interesting, deep question. Um, I mean, I'm hearing it two different ways, so I'll, I'll answer two different ways. So in the workshops, we don't go that deep philosophically with them. Mm -hmm. I would say that afterwards is something that Gabrielle and I, we tend to, you know, on occasion, something may come up that we'll talk about that, you know, as we debrief the workshop where we might clue in ourselves like wow that was interesting that that person yada yada and um you know how that identity is really holding them back or how that was how they were able to give more because they were giving up that identity mm -hmm. in the workshop and so forth um but yeah I, I, it's, it's a very hard construct to to bring up in the workshops um mm -hmm. personally I mean, I think, you know, since since I read one of Fred's books, you know, one of the many, I always get them mixed up, or essays, uh, Fred Newman, um, you know, labels and identity was something that I've been trying to give up personally, <laughs> even though in the workshops, I do express, I, I still feel constraints, you know, you, you, yeah. it's not, you know, I don't try to take them on all the time, but I am a black man, you know, <laughs> you know, so, you know, and yeah, again, not to get so, you know, into that, you know, there's, there's parts of being a black male that I experience, mm -hmm. um, whether I want to take that on or not. Um, so it, it's interesting duality of, of being yeah, up to the world. Yeah. And how do you build with that? I think is what we're what we're really working with is how do you build with that? And and I guess the giving up part that that some of them we don't again it's not explicit because we we work on some different tools. Um, Gabrielle is I I I'm, I'm now calling her the tool mm -hmm. master. Is one of the, part of the design is for mm -hmm. her to let people clue in on what we already know we're doing is you're going to learn some tools today. It's kind of like they got like, oh we. We get it now. Yeah. Right? 
I think it's as a... much a... That's nice. I never heard that, the tool master. I, <laughs> that's very nice. I, you know, I think it's as much, Lois, um, playing with identity or identity play. Yes. You know, in that we do things like we have this game, opinion game, where we randomly assign people to different sides of an argument um, of a particular opinion, um, point of view. And you might be arguing for something that you don't agree right, with or right. it's not. And it might be something that also is kind of really opposite of, excuse my expression, your identity. You know, so let's say um, we're talking about gun control and you're given the argument to argue um you know, uh, you know, for gun control, but you don't believe in gun control, you mm -hmm. know, and maybe that's maybe you're a member of the NRA and you don't believe in gun control. And now you're being asked to do this or, you know, all different things like that, helping people put themselves in other people's shoes. You know, I also think that the other way we kind of do identity play is, well, with things like Alien Tiger Cow, I mean, I kind of tell people, you know, the paradoxicality of performance is that by being who you're not, we see performing who you're not, we see more who you are. Um, and so we play with that. And so in a funny sort of way, even doing alien tiger cow, where you perform an alien tiger and a cow is, it sounds ridiculous, but you are literally performing an identity mm -hmm. that you're not. And you, and you do see more who people are. Absolutely. <laughs> it's just like, yeah. it's really simple. The way they do this silly game of being a cow and how they move. You know, and and just how they gesture, because we teach them a gesture with that way. They put their hands around their mouth and then they move. Right. So it, it sounds kind of um, almost like simple. But when you help people play and, and kind of break out of the constraints of their identity in real time, you know, as Wittgenstein, Ludwig Wittgenstein, the great philosopher said, you know, how do I get you to stop focusing on your disease? I turn your attention to something else. And I think part of what Antoine and I do relative to identity is we help turn people's attention to something else. Yeah, yeah, no, I think that's super important. And, and thank you for the examples and the concreteness of it. Um, because as we know, play is what's developmental and growthful for people and it's how they learn. So to play with identity is to challenge identity. It, it, it's, and, and all I'm contending and my life's work has partly been to help people challenge the very concept of identity itself by playing with the concept of identity, by playing with their identities. So hats off to you too. <laughs> well, <laughs> that's a big compliment coming from you, Lois. Yeah, Appreciate perfect. that. Thank you. So this is all power to the developing, uh, named for a reason um, that we believe uh, that, and you agree, I'm sure that, and you've said that several times, all people can grow, everyone has to grow. So what have you discovered, if anything, through this project uh, operation conversation about power, about development, about the relationship between power and development? Have you discovered anything? We'd love to know. Well, the thing that came to my mind when you asked about power is I think when you know, when we feel badly, I know when I feel badly, you know, I feel the, I don't certainly don't feel empowered. I don't feel like I can do anything powerful. I feel like I can't, something is happening to me. Things are happening to me and I can't break out of that experience of these things happening to me and I can't change them. 
And that's, and you're kind of stuck in the humiliation, the bad feelings, the depression, whatever it is, the, the anger of that. But there's a kind of, I think there's a kind of impotency and in feeling you just don't feel like you have any power. And I think why development, all power to the develop when you're growing, you know, when you're, when you're evolving, you're able to actively respond to things and engage in them in creative ways and improvisational ways. And you can take things that happen to you that you that are challenging and you can kind of create something with things that really, mm -hmm. really bad things too. Mm -hmm. You can build with everything. And if you get better at doing that, then it, there's a power in that. There's a power. There's a power for you as an individual. There's a power for how you influence others. There's a power for how you build relationships because you can respond to people, even if people are coming at you in ways that you can respond in ways that are powerful because you're not just stuck in this script where they're, you know, if, if someone's the oppressor, then someone's the victim, you yeah. know, and you get, we all get stuck in those kinds of scripts. Yeah. I think there was a time in my life, I would say, as a, a younger woman, where I didn't know how to do that. You know, I things would happen that I'd feel badly about, and I would just be stuck in them and, you know, feel very unhappy, was very unhappy in my life. And I think when that changed was I learned to grow, and I learned I just got new tools. I, I learned to do different kinds of things in different situations and kind of move about the things that were happening, and that's more powerful. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. Thank you. One way, I, one way I think about your question, I think about this one particular workshop. Um, so in this one particular workshop, you had a white woman who she was expressing her stuckness, um, air quotes. <laughs> and, you know, I think she read white fragility or something. And she's like, I'm a, passive racist and I, I don't know what to do. Then you have this, um, he was mixed black Hispanic guy who we, Gabrielle paired him up in a scene to talk. And in the talking, he was expressing how he was stuck. That he was also feeling kind of like he didn't know what to do and powerless and they both was saying the same thing to each other then out of nowhere in in their sharing their stuckness he started to just like it's almost like you you watch the light bulb go over his head he was like you know you know i don't know just maybe you know you can just start small and you can you know do this like don't make it big just just do one thing a day you know just whatever whatever and then he's like Maybe I should do that too. And he's looking at himself. And I was like, you know, I'm like, we're very passive in in, that, in our leadership here. It's very it's very difficult because you you want to say more to the to you know the cast members as we call them because we're creating a play with them. Um, but we we you know we stay on the on the edges for the most part. And it's just like watching this happen is like. Well, to me, that's what I call power, you know, is the, the again, the power to recreate where you are, like in two seconds in supporting someone else, he was able to recreate the power that he didn't think he had as well. 
you know, because there's all this assumed power in places. And um, yeah, I think I think we do a good job of leveling the field in terms of everyone is coming in at a footing where, you know, no one has more power than the other. We're all creating it together. We, as, as you said earlier, Gabrielle, we're creating a belonging. You know, they're building this together. Um, anyway. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. That, the other thing, um, go no, go. the other thing I think about all power to develop and make the very obvious point is it's a, it's a wonderful postmodern twist on all power to the people. Um, and which I think was in its traditional uh, sense, Marx's sense was a class statement, if you if you will. And even though people are all kinds of classes, but I think in that context, it was a, mm-hmm. a statement about working class people, as I understand it. And I think all power to the developing is postmodern in that it, it it does shine a light more on power coming from growth. Um, and is kind of uh, goes beyond a, s- a simple class statement. Absolutely, kind. absolutely, and and that seems so incredibly important right now um, in the world that it go beyond that um, and that power go beyond authority. Yeah, exactly, and that's a big part of the All Stars Project. Always has been, in that we've. Just brought affluent people and middle class people and poor people and working people and together doing the same thing together, you know, building something together. And not that people are the same because they're very different, actually, and have different needs. And we we've created this community that's on behalf of of in particular people who are poor, people who are underserved, people who are left out. But everybody grows in the context of creating, a, a you know, that those opportunities. Right, right. I have one comment, and then I think we have to uh, end in a, in a minute or two. Yeah, believe it or not. Um, so going back to the description of the power that the group creates, I'm going to be very precise in my language and my understanding, the power that the group pre- creates in sharing how their identities constrain them and the the surprise and the diversity of, and the everydayness in a way of what people say, like being an auditor or whatever. And Gabrielle, you said something like, not just the saying of it, but but that the listening, the sharing, the listening. And it occurred to me to go all the way full circle to the beginning of um, our conversation and the stuckness is that it's not saying to someone quote like them it's not all auditors sitting around complaining it's saying it in this diverse group of people who you don't know and being listened to by this uh, this grouping of people that you don't know who aren't auditors if you will so there's that there's a power that I think the group exercises in being such yes. good listeners. And I'm, I'm, I think you would agree. Well, but that's what I'm I doing. would agree. And I think that um, one of the unfortunate things I think about identity and this this, I think, goes against the tide of things right now is that I think we're taught that the people who can most help us and understand us are people who are most like right. us. And 
you know, I, nobody is denying that there is certain shared experience, whether it be his cultural or historically, by people who are in particular identity groups or cultural groups or religious groups. So not to deny that. However, I think what gets overlooked is it turns out that people who are very unlike you can be of a lot of help and see things about you and touch you and, and help you grow in ways, in, in, in particular kinds of ways. It's almost like it's like it's like a wonderful science experiment where you mix these things that are different and this wonderful new thing gets created. Exactly. It's kind yeah. of like the provocation of that creates something, forces people to create something new. Because Antoine and I, he's black, I'm white, I'm Jewish, he's a man, I'm a woman, you know, he grew up poor, I grew up working class, he grew up in Brooklyn, I grew up in a small college town, you know. So Antoine and I, like, we're these different people. And so I can't just kind of fall into exactly this thing that we might do for exactly this much more of the same, you know, so there's, there's more tension between us at times in a good way, because the creativity comes out of a, a creative tension that creates That's something new. Right. Right. And you can't, can't create as much if you don't use the tension. Yeah. Yeah. Antoine, you're going to say something, you know, wrap it up for us. Yeah. I was, I was just thinking about, that I mean, that's that's I think that's also the beauty of the of the workshop is Gabrielle and I's differences. We see things from from different angles that we can, you know, one build and I think the group feels that as well. We can be open and honest with each other around like you know <laughs> things that don't work and work and do work in creating operation conversation and working with this group of people. Uh, you know, just. In, in one quick thought, I was thinking about, again, the diversity thing, you know, sometimes, you know, you get this grouping and it's like, oh, my gosh, it's maybe too white. <laughs> right? And you realize people are so even white people are so diverse from each other or a whole black cast is diverse from each other. It's like, you know, you, you, you play with the things that people bring and give, which is so vastly we're so vastly different people all the time we have so many differences that we can build with um and so many similarities we can build with as well but you know those you know it's 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 the beauty of of, of just listening and again those tools you know listening performing empathy um slowing down you know putting yourself in someone else's shoes that we that we work on so much that people in in three hours become like besties <laughs> want to do this again it's very hard so and, and sweet and loving yeah so much it's wonderful I, I can't resist commenting on something i know i should stop and, but um so it just brought me back to um our dear um mentor comrade and 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 friend and fellow builder uh dr Falani. Um, when you were talking, Antoine, when you, you said, um, for those who don't know, for our listeners, Dr. Filani, along with Dr. Fred Newman, were founders, co-founders of the All-Stars. And um, Gabrielle alluded to Operation Conversation Cops and Kids, which Dr. Filani started. One thing that she used to say in relation to what you were just saying, Antoine, about, um, you know, a whole, maybe your whole group is all Black people or, your, or their, this group is too white and realizing how different people are. Um, I don't have the exact quote, but she was, Dr. Flannery was very fond of saying, there is no such thing as the black experience. Mm. Don't speak for me. Right. 
the philosopher Anthony Appiah, who's who's black, also says that he wrote in a whole op-ed, you know, don't say I'm on behalf of black people, on behalf of women, because right. you can speak for yourself, but you can't speak on behalf of that. Because right. right. they're all different. Right. And so I applaud what you're doing. I love what you're doing. I'm happy to hear it's expanding in one way or another and probably in many other ways. And I have so many more questions uh, for and topics for conversation that I would love to explore deeply with you. Uh, and our time has run out, so maybe we'll do this again sometime. Okay. That'd be Thanks fun. so much for being here. Thank you again. Bye bye. Thank you, Lois. Thanks, Lois. All power to the developing has been brought to you in part by the Baylor Wolf Fund.